0: Welcome to the newest episode of the Honeypot Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Hendricks, and I took the lid off the pot today for another wonderful guest, Ms. Kai Storm. Before we get started, I wanna make sure all of our listeners remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you will receive notifications for all things Honeypot. Now let's introduce today's guest. A consistent face in the urban literary world, Kai Storm has penned six books. Born in Panama in 1972, she moved to New York in 1981. Kai was signed to 21st Street Urban Editing and Publishing in 2010. She is the mother of three daughters and a blogger for Vocal Media. Welcome to the pot, Kai.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: We are happy to have you. Now... Tell us a little bit about who Kai Storm is, the author.
1: Kai Storm, everything I write, I definitely want you to visualize it. I definitely want you to, as you're reading it, I want, to be, I want you to be able to see it in your mind and possibly think that it's a true story. All of my stories are fiction, but I, I definitely want, you know, the reader to capture it capture the scene in their mind as they're reading it and you know and kind of be able to see it like a movie do
0: you have aspirations for your books to eventually become a movie or is it just that that's your style of writing
1: that is my style of writing i would like any author i would definitely you know want to see my written word on film that that's one of my long time goals that i definitely would like to accomplish in in my life but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely my style of writing. I, 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 like, I like for a person to be able to see and, and, and know what it is and, and, and be able to feel what it is and, 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 you know, question, you know, the reality of the book because that's the kind of books I enjoy to read myself. So I definitely want to give that every time I write a book. Now, I, I've noticed... With a, a lot of books, though, when they, you know, put them on film, they, they completely change the concept of the, of the book. Like, it's e- either, you know, it's not exactly like the book or it's, it's completely different. And I, I, don't, I would not want that to be done to my books. It, like, if, if I ever put any of my books on film, they're going to be exactly like the book. I will not disappoint the, the reader like that.
0: There's an author that is currently working on a book that she's written. Uh, her name is Angie Thomas, and she wrote the book, The Hate You Give. Have you Are you familiar with that?
1: Yes, actually, yeah.
0: So I follow her, and she was saying that, you know, even though she is the writer and they do consult with her, that ultimately she doesn't make a lot of the final decisions. So how do you think you would be able to combat that if that should arise?
1: I couldn't work with the project if I didn't have final say. I absolutely could not work with the project if I didn't have final say. Because at the end of the day, you're using my work to create a, a a visual picture of of my work. And if it doesn't represent my work, I wouldn't want my name or my association with it. You know, I mean, take for example, like, you know, true to the game. I I I, I could not believe what whoever the director was of True the Game, I couldn't believe what they did with that movie, knowing the book didn't go like that. The book didn't go nothing like that. So it was just like, I was disappointed as a reader and as, a, and as an author, I was completely disappointed. And so I wouldn't want my work to go down like that.
0: I've seen that in other um, stories as well. For instance, Waiting to Exhale*. I actually read the book first and then when the movie came out I was all excited because I had already read the book and there was so much that they left out and so much that they didn't do. It was it was a good movie, of course, but it just wasn't the book. So of course you're you're disappointed because you expect to see what you've read and it's like, Oh, okay, well, you didn't really explain that backstory there or you know. So I understand what you're saying. You're from New York, which is the Mecca of, of writers. How did that mold you and help you become the writer that you are today?
1: I, I say it, it 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 gave me my backing because I, I the, the period of time that I spent while when I first became an author till the time I moved out here, I, I, I not only developed a following. I was able to, you know, um, you know, have people recognize me because I was always in the street promoting my books, trying to sell my books. And um, a lot of authors that live in New York knew me. So, you know, when um, author events would come up, I would show up. It would, you know, I I would see people that I would talk to every day on Facebook and didn't know until I I would see them face to face. So it it was a a great beginning um, starting my career in New York. So, what made you move to Seattle? Well, Seattle was a better look for my family. So, it definitely, you know, once we came out here, my fa- my family definitely changed for for the better. So, uh, even though my career has it hasn't really gone up in in Seattle, because I, I find in Seattle, uh, there's there's not too much of a support group for for local artists. And 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 if there is, it's it's like few and far between, you know. You, you gotta you you gotta kind of look up, you know. So, uh, you know, I haven't looked up that much yet since being out here, but, you know, it is what it is. I still have a following online, so I you know I I I try to keep up with that and you know and do my best when whenever I can to promote myself.
0: So your first books were written in the urban fiction genre but you've also written Erotica. Tell us about that and how you made the transition to Erotica from urban fiction. And you still write in urban fiction, correct? So you're doing both.
1: Well, actually, I don't see it as a transition. I just see it as I write whatever I see. I I mean, in my head, before I write down something, I, I see it in my head. So Whatever uh, I come up with in my imagination, I write down. And if it happens to be urban fiction, it is what it is. If it happens to be erotica, it is what it is. So what can we expect from you this year? Well, this year, I'm definitely um, blogging a lot more. I haven't um, actually penned an actual novel yet. But uh, I've been doing a lot of blogging. And I'm I'm hoping to to one day turn my blogs into a, a TV series. That that's one of the things I'm kind of um, hoping to do. I'm also uh, doing a little bit of photography, trying to you know do pick up that art because that that's always been. Um, a love affair of mine. So I'm just, I I feel like this is going to be my year to, you know, expand my art.
0: Your books are currently in some local libraries. Tell us which books and where they're located.
1: You just don't know is in a, a, a couple of libraries, one in Virginia, I believe, one in Texas, I think California. What I did was at the time when I was trying to get my books in the libraries. I was contacting a lot of different libraries. So, um some libraries were able to, you know, share my book and some libraries just um purchased it directly. So so uh, to me that was that was like the the best thing that could happen to me because I mean, the library is is the mecca as far as authors are concerned. You know what I mean? You 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 hope to get I mean, yes, you want to library your book in bookstores all over the place so that you know you're making some kind of money but Give but actually having it in a library means that it's it's there forever. You know what I mean? So it, 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 I was very proud to, to even get it in my first library. Also, I also got some books in, in libraries out here in Seattle, Alani's Hustle La Familia which is the th- uh, the third phase uh, of the whole Alani story. Like I said, it was a great thing for me to to just be able to get it in, in, in a library. You know what I mean? Just one library had me feeling really good. Never mind to have a couple of libraries under my belt.
0: Okay, so you mentioned Alani. So let's talk about her. This character appears in three of your books and that's Alani's Hustle, La Familia, Alani's Bigger Hustle and Alani's hustle gets bigger yes you stated that her story lived in you since you were 12 so how did you come up with this story and how did you go about putting it on paper
1: when I first came to America from from Panama there was a a good period of time where I didn't really speak English and it took me a long time to develop any kind of friends so but before then when I would go outside to, you know, call myself quote unquote play, it, you know, I would end up just kind of sitting around and just staring at people. So in my sitting around staring at people, my mind would automatically go into story mode and, you know, to sort of, you know, give me something to think about while I'm sitting there and, you know, doing not doing anything. And out of nowhere, it was like, Alani just came, it became one of the stories that just that started in my head and just stayed there. And I kind of looked at I looked looked at her story as just something that that kept me entertained personally throughout my years because it was it, it, I never looked at it as an actual you know story to be told to anybody I looked at it it was just something that I kind of acted out in my head and it was and it would just entertain me and me alone one day uh, boredom I was um, doing a temp assignment where it was about to be over but it was um it was right before christmas and instead of them letting me go they decided to keep me about a week extra just so i could have some christmas money but while i was there for a week i didn't have, i didn't do anything so for the most part i would do you know job search and in between i would be bored so i, I one day i just decided to uh, type out the alani story and it was that first time that i typed out the the first three chapters that i realized that in my head i kept reenacting these these first three chapters like it never in my head it never went past those three chapters so when i finished writing those three, three chapters it was like okay where do where does this story go and i and, and i never you know followed up after that. I just kind of left it there. It wasn't until a friend of mine told me about a friend of hers starting a publishing company and that I should, you know, start sending out my stories to publishing companies because, you know, she read a couple of my pieces and and thought, you know, I should send a couple of my pieces out. Now, of course, you know, that's a friend, you know, and and you feel like, you know, your friends is going to tell you whatever they're going to tell you because they're your friend. They're not going to hurt your feelings. But, you know, a real person might might really hurt your feelings and tell you, you know, your shit is crap. So I started sending out my stuff and, you know, for for a lot of, for a long time, I was getting rejection letters. And then when I first got somebody that said, yeah, I like this story, I I, I want to read it. Where's the rest? That made me say, okay, now I actually have to write the rest. And when I sat down to write the rest, it was like it, just like I said, everything I write, I kind of see in my head. So I, I, I closed my eyes. I saw the rest. I wrote it down.
0: Okay. So can we expect
1: more of Alani's story? I, I wrote Alani into three books. I meant to only write her into two books, but I wrote her into three. And I think I definitely need to end it at the three.
0: All right. If you had to choose from the books that you've written, which would you consider to be your favorite?
1: It will always be Alani's bigger hustle, and it'll always be the first three chapters of Alani's bigger hustle. Cause, like I said, that 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 first three chapters lived in my head and and never went away, never went away. And it wasn't until I was forced to write the rest of the story that that I that I saw the completion of the story. But those first three chapters kind of grew up with me, so okay. that that would definitely be my favorite book.
0: Okay. So let's go back to something that you said. You, you know, you were talking about how Alani, this is a story that was in your head. So if you could go back in time and tell yourself something when you were 17, what would you tell yourself? Would you say, look, you need to finish this book or do you, what what advice would you give yourself at that?
1: I would give myself a whole lot of personal advice. Live, leave that dude alone. Don't go there no more. You know, absolutely. I would, I would have definitely never went to college. I definitely wouldn't have de- never went to college. I still owe Sally Mae. I mean, <laughs> and yes, I would have told myself to to write earlier. I definitely would have told myself to to jump into the 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 book business way earlier than I did. You know, I absolutely would have. Tell us um,
0: some of the issues that you see. In the black community that you address in your writing and why you chose those topics,
1: I address social issues more in my blogging more than my my books. My books are just you know fictional stories that came up in my head, but in my blogging, I definitely talk about um you know issues and and things of that nature. One of the blogs I wrote it, it, it was called Chocolate Soufflé, and basically. It was me addressing the fact that you know in 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 black society alone i mean in society in general the the idea to be beauty to be beautiful at all costs it, is big right now you know what i mean like especially in the black community you you hear about you know you know basement botox and butt fillers and all of that people you know spending all kind of money to to, to take out ribs to, to have smaller waists and whatnot and it's like what why why are we killing ourselves to 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 look perfect like you know what i mean like why is society making us think that that's what we need to do like especially as a black woman like why does society make us feel like we need to do that we need to just celebrate our naturalness like you have you know cellulite and you got a little extra pudge in the stomach or you know whatever your breasts hang a little extra hey you're you're you're, that's natural that's natural god-given and 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 nine times out of ten the reason why your breasts are hanging is because you brought children into the world another natural thing you know what i mean and 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 it's like i address that that you know we should celebrate this the the natural woman the the woman that doesn't want to spend all her money on weaves or, or or spend money trying to you know make her waist smaller or or or, or make her ass bigger or natural, like that that's that's definitely you know one of the things i blog about i mean i i vogel media when they first approached me to blog for them they approached me to blog for them to write erotic stories but because they have a lot of different platforms i was able to you know i'm able to write on you know whatever i want so i also address this one thing that I, that's out here seattle coffee booths like uh, seattle has coffee booths everywhere and and you would never know that some of these coffee booths, you walk up on them, and and it's a naked chick selling you coffee. And it's like, you know, it, I, I wrote about that because I was just like, why, why, why are they putting these boobs all over the place? And why is she naked selling me selling me a coffee and a donut? I don't understand. Like, why she got a pasty on her titty, and she, and she's selling me coffee. So you know, it, 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 yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it, it's I, I, I definitely. Like, that's one of the things I like about Vocal, because it has so many different platforms. I could blog about whatever I want. And and to me, that that definitely is a woman's issue, because out here, they even talk about how that a lot of these ladies that are in these booths, they're getting robbed left and right. You know, people robbing, driving up on them and, and robbing them left and right. And it's like, you get robbed and you ain't even got clothes on, like. You know and you're selling coffee you know what i'm saying and you got pasties on your titties i'm just, you know i i'm making jokes of it but it, it that's just me that's that's me of just saying that i definitely not only do i blog like stories that i make up in my head but i also blog about real shit
0: i had no idea that that was really going on <laughs> when you think coffee you think Starbucks, I guess you don't think that people are actually out here hustling coffee like Hooters. Yeah,
1: I mean it, th- that's the funny because Seattle is is a very big coffee state, so it makes sense that coffee is everywhere. It makes it definitely does. But you you, I never even realized how I even realized that this booth was that uh, like these booths exist is because like I said, like one time I was walking, I needed some coffee, I saw a booth. I walked up on it and when Home Girl opened the gate, she had on pasties on her titties. So I immediately asked myself, okay, are you just selling coffee? Okay, so let me before I judge you, let me look this up. And then I looked up, look, went to Google, and then here Google tells me that yes, Seattle is very big on naked coffee booths. And it's like, Really? So you got these naked chicks to selling coffee? Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Naked coffee booths. I'm going to have to look that up.
1: <laughs> so it's, it, all you got to do is Google Seattle naked coffee booths and you'll see stories that, you know, about, you know, certain chicks that were actually selling more than coffee. And and, or, and then you'll see about stories about chicks that, uh, that are getting robbed left and right while they're wearing nothing but pasties. And, and it's like... Who, who thought of this? Who, who who put this together? And then and then and then what is the criteria to work here? What kind of experience you gotta have to work here? Mm.
0: Mm. See, this is why I love this platform because not only am I able to allow people to be able to speak to a different audience, but I'm learning so much because <laughs> I'm talking to people all across you know the nation and and i'm learning a lot about you know areas that i've never had the opportunity to visit yet so this is why i love this platform and i have to keep it going <laughs> Absolutely.
1: all
0: right so let me ask you this what does literary success look like to you
1: literary success to me looks like where your books are everywhere people recognize your your book that To the point where you know, if you put out something new, you you know, people just buy it. There's no such thing as people checking to see what it's about. It's just people are just buying it, and you're recognized for for your written word, your your excellence at written word. That that's what literary success looks for me. Looks for me. Okay,
0: so we've reached this segment where I ask, "What's in the honey pot?" And this is where I ask you, you know, what is it that's on your music list? What is it that you're listening to? Because music influences us in so many ways. So what's on your music playlist?
1: Absolutely. It's reggae. It's dancehall reggae. And I don't mean just like a lot of the new stuff. Like I, I, I'm more uh, of the old school. I think even with music in general, I'm I, I'm more lean to old school, maybe because of my age. It definitely leads to, to dancehall, old school, rap. For the most part, you know, my I, I'm, uh, I'm, I lean towards dancehall and reggae and, and rap, and, and it has to be old school, because at least with old school music, it, there was meaning, there was feeling, there was, you know, there was a sense of the song having a purpose. You know, not, uh, nine times out of ten, the music that comes out right now with these kids—it's like they—they're encouraging everybody to just be high. And it's like your life can't be about being high. B. I mean, seriously. Just because you—you you got money to be high, don't mean that you have to be high. Like, come on, let it go. Like, that's—that—that's that, that's the main thing I have problem with with today's music. They're promoting—they—they promote things that 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 make no sense. You know what I mean? Like, that's. That's why the the the, the rise of the, the, the video vixen side chick is so big because you got music promoting stuff like this and it just, and it makes you think that, oh yeah, that, that, that because a song says it, it's okay. And, and and we really shouldn't be living like that, but yet we do.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because I was watching the Mickey Howard story and I was listening to, well, I actually looked up um, just kind of, I was trying to do some research research on her and I right. found one of her interviews and she was talking about how, um, the story was so real, you know, she relived a lot of those moments and she, um, was, she pretty much was on crack. She did what they call cocoa puffs, which was where they, um, took, she took crack and crushed it and, and mixed it in with like a cigarette and smoked it. That was her Coco. And so she was talking about how now she was talking about the music and how that's what they advocate. And she was saying she watches love and hip hop. And she said, you know, you think that that's scripted, but that stuff really happens. She said, those things really happened when she was in the industry hard and heavy, you know, back in the seventies and the early eighties when did it, you know, doing a line of Coke was just like ordering a Mai Tai, you know, it was, normal it was something that they just did and you think you're having fun until you realize that you're addicted to it and at that point it's too late now you're a junkie trying to get your next fix and it's like these people don't realize now you know they're out the syrup and the it's keeping them constipated and it's keeping them you know they're gaining weight and Now we have these colds because the syrup is supposed to be a cough medicine. Now you can't get rid of your cough because your body has adjusted to that medicine. So you need something stronger, which means these viruses are adjusting and they're getting stronger. Now we have the flu and it's killing people.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: People don't... They don't realize the the consequences of their actions because it's not affecting them. Because we live in a world right now of self gratification, and we don't realize that what we do really can have an effect on not only our generation but future generations. Because it makes no sense that the, the flu and a common cold is killing people at this point.
1: At this point, you know what I mean, and that and, and that's because and then and then and then here go the other half. you 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 go and the doctor you say you want something stronger he gives you a prescription that says yeah your cold is gonna go away as soon as you take this but guess what you might have the runs you might go blind you might have a heart attack all kind of shit because you know i put i put all to, i put all kinds of stuff together to make this pill up and and you know it all depends on you know if you live or die i don't really care as long as you take it the the pharmaceutical company's gonna give me my cut because you took it and everything is good everything is good. it's all about the benjamins right exactly i mean that's 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 the kind of society we live in and and anybody that doesn't acknowledge that is lost mm-hmm
0: I agree with that because these pharmaceutical companies are getting off. I've made billions of dollars. A couple of people die. You sue me for a few million. It doesn't really hurt my pockets because I've made billions of dollars off of this. You know, Mm -hmm. by the time you decide to sue me or you come up with enough evidence to sue me, I've already made all of the money that I want to make off of it. So it's a never ending cycle.
1: And then I cut you a check and then you go away and then you and then and if you stupid, you spend the money on bullshit. And, and then and two days later, you on the news talking about your growth. I mean, and I'm laughing at you.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. So do you have any last words for our listeners and viewers today?
1: Well, yeah, definitely. I appreciate, you know, this interview. I absolutely thank you for, for having me um, to find more about. Um, to find out more about Kai Storm, absolutely go to my website www com. That's nattekai and um, not only you, you'll be able to see you know blogs I do. I also do author artist features, and um, you know find out more about my books, be able to order my books, all of that. Okay.
0: Thank you, Kai, for joining today's show. We really, truly appreciate having you, being so candid and having really good conversation with us. We hope to have you back soon. I want to thank our audience for taking the time to listen to the Honeypot Podcast today. I'm your host, Carmen Hendricks. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and like us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram using the handle Honey Pot Podcast. You can also find me at CarmenHendrix.com. That does it for today's podcast. I'm putting the lid back on the pot. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye, Kai. Bye
1: now. you